You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. For those of you who have been listening for the last couple of weeks, if not months, you'll realize that we have been not been talking so much about healthcare, health insurance, or health reform. And the reason is that this country is in a cultural war right now with socialism slash Marxism. And we can't get to free market solutions as I've been proposing and have outlined a number of times over the last year and a half that I've been running this program. So I want to step back and talk about Marxism, socialism for our audience out there to truly understand what's going on. You know, most of us think of and grew up with Marxism ideas as being dead, as not being important or influential in the United States. But the reality is that in the 20th century, it was probably one of the most successful forms of government structure, not successful in terms of the people getting any benefit from the Marxist revolutions that occurred around the world, but successful in the sense that it dominated as a political structure probably more people in this world than any other system. Now, it might have been uh, implemented with force, with mass murders, with a few people taking control as a communist party founded on Marxist principles, but the reality is that it did grow enormously. And I want to have a discussion today that starts with a Marxist professor, Professor Stephen Hicks, Ph.D. at Rockford University. You know, very few of us get a chance to actually talk to a Marxist because during our growing up years, during our college years, that was not really an accepted form of government. We were fighting against communism and Marxism through the Cold War with Russia and conflicts with China and with Cuba. So I want to step back and have this audience really understand what's going on in our country today because many of the things that we see and hear, we say that just makes no sense. Why would anybody want to promote that kind of a program? Why would anybody want to promote critical race theory? Why would anybody want to try to separate us as a country rather than use the the melting pot concept that most of us grew up with? Why would people want to defund the police? Why would people want to get rid of the, um, the, the normal family structure? Why are we riding in the streets over what seems to be something that happens so far away and doesn't really have any impact except to be able to go into the uh, nearest Target or Walmart and steal TVs and clothes and Nike shoes or whatever it is. None of that makes any sense to most of the population in the United States, but we've got a new generation that's growing, and to many of those people, it's how they're being educated in school. So I wanted us in this program to hear from a Marxist professor to understand the history of Marxism first, which we'll get into in just a minute, but also the goals and purposes of Marxism, and then ultimately what it's going to do to any country that implements these kinds of ideas, especially how do you do it in the United States? How do you create a revolution? Well, they have very serious, detailed concepts of how to do that. And I want to create an awareness about the truth 
of Marxism and Marxist professors and Marxist ideologues and Marxist politicians that are infiltrating our entire country, from our FBI to the CIA to elected officials in Congress. All that is happening, and it makes no sense to most of us who grew up under a capitalist system that raised so many people out of poverty, that provided so many benefits. So let's talk to this Professor Stephen Hicks at Rockford University. So I want to start with asking him to go over a little bit of the history of Marxism and how it grew and where it grew and remind us what happened during the 20th century. So Professor Rockford, Professor Hicks from Rockford University, uh, give us that uh, history so our audience will know where we're all starting from, this idea of Marxism, how it started, and how it affected 20th century politics. Marxism, of course, is named for Karl Marx, a 19th century social thinker, certainly uh, famed as a political thinker, an economic thinker, more broadly speaking, uh, though his PhD was originally in philosophy, and it was from a philosophical perspective that he nested all of his uh, uh, subsequent social, political, and economic uh, activist and theoretical thinkings. I think it's safe to say that uh, if we had looked at the future of the world by the time Marx died, toward the end of the uh, 19th century in the 1880s, no one would have predicted that Marxism would have come to have the impact on 20th century theory and practice that he did. Marx was at that point uh, a little-known German thinker, one of many uh, activist uh, thinkers at the time. Uh, and at the time of his death, he had not succeeded in generating a, a mass movement uh, of the sort that was to come in the 20th century. So, Professor, what you're describing is that the the Marxist Communist Manifesto um, was written up by Karl Marx in, I think it was, you said, 1848. And by the time he died, it really hadn't taken hold like he thought. So there was a level of disappointment, I suppose, in um, his lifetime. Uh, but all that changed when we got into the 20th century. Tell us what happened during the 20th century where this, these Marxist ideas began to take root in worldwide politics. But early in the 20th century, all of that did change, and it changed spectacularly uh, with uh, fatal implications for 20th century history. 1917, a small group of revolutionaries inspired by Marxist philosophy and political philosophy, led by Lenin uh, and a group of others, including Stalin and Trotsky, succeeded in overthrowing Russia and transforming uh, feudal Russia into communist uh, Soviet Union. And with that uh, revolution, uh, uh, Marxism was launched as uh, perhaps the most uh, successful political philosophy over the course of 20th century, especially in terms of population numbers. By the end of World War II, uh, the Soviet Union uh, succeeded in adding to its uh, control most of Eastern Europe. Uh, Marxist revolutionaries uh, had also uh, succeeded in uh, uh, taking China in a communist direction led by Mao Zedong. And so uh, uh, by the time we get to the middle part of the 20th century, Russia and uh, China are now uh, uh, 
political systems based explicitly on Marxist political philosophy. Uh, also, by the middle part of the 20th century, if we take a snapshot around the world, a number of other revolutions are coming online in a Marxist direction uh, or already have done so. It's a great battle in the Korean peninsula uh, that leads to a split between a southern Korea that is more liberal and democratic and a North Korea that is still to this day uh, communist in its ideology. The same thing played out in Asia, uh, in Cambodia, uh, and other Southeast Asian nations. Uh, closer to home here in the United States, a number of uh, Marxist-inspired revolutionary groups are active in Latin and South America. A very successful revolution occurs in Cuba, just off the coast of the United States. And in Africa, a number of Marxist-inspired revolutions occur as well in states such as Angola, Mozambique, and a few others. So if we again take a snapshot of the world in the middle part of the 20th century, uh, if you consider that China, of course, is the world's largest country in terms of population, Russia adds its own hundreds of millions of people, and we add uh, Eastern Europe and then the densely populated countries of uh, North Korea, uh, Vietnam and Cambodia and so on, uh, it's fair to say that perhaps two-thirds of the world's population by the middle part of the 20th century is living under political regimes that are directly inspired by and putting into practice ideas generated by Karl Marx in the 19th century. Professor, thank you for that overview. So many of us don't know that history, forget that history. All we remember, those of us who are older, is the Cold War and the competition with Russia, knowing that China was out there and we're trying to figure out should we be friends with Russia or China and create sort of a, a two against one at various times, we in Russia against China or we in China against Russia, and not fully appreciating the fact that this Marxist philosophy was spreading around the world. Uh, we just didn't pay as much attention as normal, regular citizens to what was going on. I know. And I hope our politicians were at that time because uh, it was a big battle in order to maintain the uh, dominance of capitalism and to promote that around the world. But tell us now that we've seen that what's happening around the globe. Tell us more about your uh, observations of what's happened with the Marxist philosophy in the United States. Now, in the United States, uh, Marxism has also exerted uh, influence, not so much in terms of uh, succeeding in, in, in causing political revolutions, although there have been uh, significant elements of Marxist political thought work their way into American politics. But if we focus more narrowly in education, uh, Marxist political philosophy and Marxist uh, philosophy, more broadly speaking, has had a great impact in the course of American higher education, certainly in humanities departments, uh, to some extent in social science departments, uh, surprisingly not so much in economics departments, but certainly in sociology departments, in history departments, in philosophy, uh, uh, political science rather, departments. Uh, and then uh, for, for most of the second part of the 20th century, philosophy departments and literature departments had their share of Marxist thinkers uh, as well. And that then exerted uh, trickle-down effects to the high schools and to some extent for, to, for, to the uh, K through 8 grade uh, levels. Professor, we know that today's Marxists are not the same as the Marxism that Karl Marx put out in its pure sense. Um, where you're going to have this utopia that um, everybody's problems are solved, centralized government or the elite power structure is going to take care of everybody. So give us an explanation of why this utopian 
Marxism never worked so that we can then get into a discussion of how this thing has now evolved in modern day. The, the utopian socialist movement, uh, which had, from their perspective, been largely ineffectual in bringing socialism about, and from their perspective, uh, utopian socialism, while the ideals of socialism from their perspective were perfectly fine and legitimate, and the commitment of the individuals who were utopian socialists were perfectly fine, the utopian socialists were mostly theoretical uh, individuals, mostly, uh, to if we put it in terms of stereotype, uh, students and uh, fellow travelers who would sit around in cafes and uh, sketch castles in the sky, but did not have a scientific understanding of human nature, of how the world actually worked, much less a technology or a set of techniques or a strategic plan for bringing out a socialist revolution. And so they were doomed to, uh, to failure. So, Professor, what I'm hearing you say is that the traditional pure Marxism didn't work because it was more pie-in-the-sky utopian, and that today's evolving Marxism really is going to focus on how do you change people's behaviors? How do you understand the human being's thought process? What's the science, if you will, at least the psychology around how you create a revolution since the utopian form didn't work? And so that's what I want to get into in our next session how this new Marxism is really a different but more insidious way of trying to control people and get them to agree to Marxist principles. So let's take a quick break, and we're going to come back and listen to a Marxist professor, Dr. Stephen Hicks, who's teaching in our universities today. So please join us after this commercial. Hello, my name is Rick White, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, then the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised your right hand and joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmbhof.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. We are talking about socialism slash Marxism. I want everybody in our audience, as we continue on this hour, to understand there are various levels of wanting to expand centralized power of government. You have the traditional liberals. You have the progressives. You have the socialists. You have the Marxists. You have the communists. It all kind of feeds together as an evolving process. And what I want to focus on is something that I never thought we would see in this country. We are going into socialism very clearly, but it is rapidly morphing into Marxism. I mean, who would have ever believed that Black Lives Matters would be a, an organization that corporations in the United States are funding, that organizations would be promoting 
that our embassies across the world would be flying flying a Black Lives Matter flag that was founded by an avowed socialist. Who would have ever thought that we would have had the head of the CIA that admits to having voted for the Communist Party president for the United States a number of years ago? So I want to get back to this this communist-slash-Marxist professor we've been talking with and will continue to talk with today. His name is Professor Stephen Hicks at the Rockford University. And Professor Hicks gave us the reason and the history of Marxism and why it didn't work in the, in the 19th century, but how it began to grow and expand and even dominate the number of people in the world under that system in the 20th century. But... As far as the United States is concerned, sort of the grand prize of the Marxist philosophy, it's taken a more insidious approach. It's changed a little bit so that it will become more acceptable, more understanding of how you address uh, human behaviors, how you change people's ideas, the whole structure. It's a very long uh, process that the Marxists are willing to wait out, so it doesn't necessarily happen in one generation or in one lifetime, but they have been working on this for a long time. So, Professor Hicks, give us uh, another explanation of what's happening in the United States and how this thing is beginning to take hold within our country and what the foundation is for making that uh, change happen. What the Marxists then are arguing is, uh, with the Marx uh, at the forefront of this, is that socialism, as a political and economic expression, right, of a, of a philosophy, or if it is going to be applied, uh, must be put on a firm scientific footing. That is to say, with a proper understanding of the actual nature of reality and with a firm understanding of human nature. Uh, only uh, if we have a proper scientific understanding integrated with a socialist political economy can we hope to succeed in bringing about a socialist transformation of society. So what you're saying, Professor, is the current modern-day Marxist wants to control people with psychology, behavioral uh, testing that they've proven in sort of a scientific model of how to influence people's brains and minds, that they think that uh, things like religion and the way you're brought up, say, in a capitalist system, it, it forms your mind and your thinking that the idea that we have in America is that people are inherently born with a desire for freedom and liberty and the Bill of Rights of uh, freedom of speech and freedom of religion, and that is ingrained in everybody, and those uh, freedoms, those rights come from God. But the Marxists, what you're saying, are using a scientific socialism, is the term they use, to try to dismiss that, that people are just plastic, they can be molded if you have the right kind of psychology, if you bring them up in a Marxist world, that's all they'll know, and that's what they'll believe is the way things should be. So we've got to get rid of some of these things like religion and the idea that we are all individuals who can think for ourselves, that that's not really the way modern-day Marxists uh, approach uh, the revolution of Marxism. 
Uh, the, the Marxists have no truck with any sort of religion or any sort of a supernaturalistic understanding of uh, reality. And this is going to have important implications for uh, the role that politics, or sorry, that religion plays in, in our understanding of politics. They will uh, argue that religion is not only false and should be dismissed, but because of uh, the history of philosophy, uh, people have mistakenly incorporated religious metaphysics into uh, their philosophical systems and hence into their cultural systems. There's going to be a certain amount of work that's necessary to uh, rid society of religious. Let me jump in right there. The Marxists want to get rid of religion because that says that power comes from God, that you're formed with certain inalienable rights. And you bring that into the world, and that's why capitalism and free markets and free expression and, uh, you know, ability to um, associate with who you want is the part of our culture. I think what I'm hearing you say is that Marxism says, oh, that's baloney. That Marxism says you are the creature of your own culture, so if we can just inculcate all the Marxism from the very beginning in your training and your education and reinforce that with the economic system that Marxism presents, that that's what you'll think is normal and would allow Marxism to flourish and have that revolution, the Marxists in the pure sense, in that utopian sense, never were able to accomplish. So tell us a little bit more about Marxism from that perspective. Uh, what the Marxists are going to do is argue that it is primarily environmental forces and environmental material conditions that are the primary determining factors in what a human being comes. So human beings do have a biological inheritance, a biological package that they are born with, but again, it is a plastic uh, uh, biological inheritance and it can be molded and shaped in pretty much any direction depending on the social and environmental forces that a human being is subject to. So Professor, anybody listening to this program today might begin to get some insights as to why it was so important for Marxism to penetrate our educational system to begin with so that that environment where people are exposed to the ideas of life in elementary school, in high school, and in college, that if they are trained in the Marxist thought, if that is the world that they live in, you know, six, eight hours a day when they're going to school – that's going to have a big impact on their thinking when they get out into the real world and take leadership positions in business or in government or in politics in any way. So this Marxism influence in our educational system is really a cancer that's eating away at the freedoms of capitalism and free markets. And I think it's important for people to fully understand and appreciate that so give us a few quotes directly from Marx that reinforces that this is the intent, that people are just plastic. If they have Marxist rulers, that that will become their normal, the new normal, if you will, that we're at the beginning stages of being understand in our own country, that we think that socialism becomes normal because we hear it in the press, we hear it from our politicians, we hear it from our business, we're getting this new training even down to elementary school of critical race theory which uh, divides us and why people are saying that that's part of a traditional Marxist philosophy to change the educational system 
and to make that a normalized thought that we are a racist country uh, and we should be looking for a revolution to get rid of the current system that we're in. Uh, tell us directly what Marx was saying about this in his writings. Where Marx says, quote, the human essence has no true reality. The human essence has no true reality. That is to say, there is no such thing as an essence, right, to uh, human nature. A human being at birth is nothing in particular. Instead, the human being is, to put it in one kind of language, a mere set of potentialities. Uh, to put it in other language, is plastic. The world around you, your environment, the society in which you are raised, that is what shapes and conditions your consciousness. So what I'm also hearing you say is that economics is an unusual core of Marxism, that if you can control economics, the government, if the centralized force can control all the economics of your world, you can change people's behaviors by giving them whatever will motivate them to move in one direction or another or to accept one thing or another which is what we're seeing happen in this country today, is that more and more power in the federal government, whether that's uh, socializing medicine or whether it's having these huge $10 trillion packages that give money out to socialist groups, to educational programs that would support Marxist socialist ideologies. Giving rewards to your friends like that is going to drive the whole process of changing the general the general behaviors of society. Is that what you're really saying? It's what the Marxists, though, argue is that of all of those environmental forces and social forces, it is economic forces that are foundational. They are the substructure, and everything else is a superstructure. So they offer, occupy a particular place within the spectrum of people who advocate environmental determinism by giving primacy to environmental forces that are economic in nature. What I'm hearing is that work defines us, that is who we are. And I think there's some truth to that, that if you ask somebody about their life, they will tell you the work that they do as defining them. But Marx takes it a different level of basically saying, if I can tell people what to do, what work to do, if I can direct them, I can change their behaviors because how they are able to put food on the table will give them a sense of commitment uh, to that particular economic system, which is why economics is the core of this new Marxist philosophy. Is that what you're really saying? The most basic thing we do is put food on the table, right? to feed ourselves and to feed our families and others. That is the most fundamental defining characteristic of our being. All of us, of course, are born into a society that has already in place a particular mode of economic production. That becomes then the primary determining factor shaping who we become as individuals. Everything else, then, is secondary. Law, politics, art, philosophy, religion, all of the rest of the apparatus of culture, the Marxists argue, is important in shaping us, but it itself is shaped fundamentally and given form and content by the underlying economic mode of production that dominates in that particular society. 
So, Professor, you're really scaring me by reinforcing the idea that Marxism believes that we are plastic, we can be formed by our uh, governmental structure we have if it's Marxism, that our real belief in freedom and liberty only comes from the fact that we've grown up with freedom and liberty and that is our culture. That's a pretty scary thing. Give us a little bit of a wrap-up of this uh, section around those ideas of Marxism. Thoughts, ideas, and so forth. Those are just phantoms, right, in the human brain. The Marxists are, it's really, again, the external uh, material forces that cause certain activities to happen in the brain. The thoughts that we have are byproducts, right, or phantoms uh, of that underlying causal process. Morality, religion, all the rest of ideology, that is to say philosophy, thoughts we have, those have no independence whatsoever. They are totally derived from underlying material processes. Well, we're at the end of this segment, but I think your emphasis on brainwashing, propaganda, establishing a culture around Marxism would give people who have and want that power uh, to control everybody else. Let's take a quick break and let's delve into this some more. It's very shocking and enlightening at the same time. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this commercial. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, welcome back to this third segment of America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and today we're talking about Marxism, a cancer within us. And we're talking to a Marxist professor, and he's giving us the insight that most of us would never get without this kind of a presentation that tells us what the real thinking is behind Marxism. All those things that are happening in our society that make no sense to us, who have grown up with capitalism, with grown up with a, with a faith, grown up with the freedoms that we have in this country, are seeing things that make no sense to us, but from a Marxist perspective, it makes perfect sense. And that's what we need to understand. Understand what's going on with trying to create conflict in the words of the Marxist professor, we're going to hear a couple of words that describe populations that they're trying to get to understand the conflicts that are going on so that they can create more turmoil. One is the bourgeoisie, they'll use that term. That's really the, the elite, the rich, the powerful in the country. And the other is the proletariat. The proletariat are the poor people the working class people. How do you control them? How do you change their behaviors? 
And from their perspective, what's happening in our world today is we have government, we have democracy, we have faith, we even have unions, and all those things a Marxist would characterize as keeping people in their place and educating them around democratic and freedom principles that is the antithesis, the opposite of what a Marxist would like to see. So let me go back to the professor and have him describe these conflicts that a Marxist would like to see engaged in this country to tear it apart and the reason they think that some of the current basic institutions of democracy and freedom are working against their interests as Marxists. In the Marxist uh, way of putting it, it's a direct quote from, uh, from Karl Marx, religion is the opium right, of the masses, or sometimes translated, religion is the opiate right, of the masses. Right? Religion is a drug. It's an intellectual drug. And what, what the drug does is it makes people more placid. It makes them more easily to control. So therefore, religion is a tool that is being used to keep the masses in their place. Democracy is a way also of slowing down the progress of the masses. The unions also uh, are serving the same sort of way. So what we have is economic institutions, political institutions, and religious institutions. None of them are going to, from the Marxist perspective, solve the conflict between the classes uh, that exist between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. And so... What the Marxists want to argue, therefore, is this whole evolutionary right, route right, towards socialism is not going to work. All of these ultimately are just going to serve the interests of the status quo. So if all those things preserve the status quo of capitalism and freedom and liberty, what is necessary from the Marxist perspective to make the changes that the Marxist ideology wants to see in place. How are they going to make that happen and eliminate these balancing items that create the status quo that we know in our world today of liberty, freedom, democracy? What we need is harsher measures, and rather than evolution, we need a revolution. I've got a quotation here from Marx. Quote, There is only one means to curtail, simplify, and localize the bloody agony of the old society and the bloody birth pangs of the new. Only one means. The revolutionary terror. So necessarily it has to be a revolution. So how do Marxists see this revolution occurring? How do you create it from that Marxist perspective so that we all can be alert to and aware of what's going on behind the scenes that we may not fully appreciate until that that devil raises his head, that dragon uh, blows out the fire that burns us all up? How are the Marxists going to make this revolution actually occur? Uh, what we need right, is a set of individuals who are able to see the conflict between the classes right for what it is. 
to recognize that nonetheless many of the people, even those who were on the receiving end of the, the pathologies of the given society, that many of those individuals, their energies are going to be co-opted. They'll be co-opted by unions. They'll be co-opted by the democratic process. They will come to believe various sorts of religious in- institutions. So what has to happen is a small number right, of individuals have to realize the class conflict for what it is, not be co-opted by these various other institutions instead, but rather take a leadership role in bringing about the revolution that is going to overthrow the established capitalists, all the politicians, right, who are in their pockets, and all of the religious leaders who are, are, are coming along with the window dressing that make everything pretty and so on. So you're exactly right, Professor. In today's United States, we're seeing a certain small cadre of so-called Marxists take over leadership positions, whether it's AOC, whether it's um, uh, Senator Warnick from Georgia that's an avowed Marxist, whether it's others in the Democratic Party that are taking over the policymaking uh, from the outside and influencing politicians from the inside. These are people who've come up through our educational system and were taught and trained and molded as that plastic you were talking about. They were molded into being Marxists and they're now taking leadership positions. So how do you continue in a Marxist philosophy so that we all understand how to fight this? How do we continue in a Marxist philosophy to understand what Marxism is actually doing to our young people. Where are we going to get this committed number of revolutionary leaders who are going to be able to lead the proletariat in the direction of the new society, the moral society that is going to be socialism here? Professor Hicks, let me jump in here real quickly because, again, for our audience, using the term proletariat, because the original Marxism was sort of the rich against the poor and the poor were going to rise up. That has not occurred, which is one of the failures of the original thinking of Marxism. But what we have today is the proletariat, instead of being a class of poor, we're talking about the classes that the Democratic Party has managed to segment out, whether it's the blacks, Hispanic, LBGTQ, uh, all those um, special interest groups, if you will, are being told they're victims. They're victimized by the system, the racist system. And that's what's being promoted today under this new Marxism. So continue with your idea of how do we get these new leaders with this kind of a concept of who's the victim and who's going to ultimately rise up against the system. Right In Marxism, that if we are going to get the revolutionary leaders, we have to get them before they are conditioned by the existing system, plastic to be shaped by the environment into which they are born. If people are born into capitalist society, then to the extent that they are shaped by capitalism's institutions, they are going to come to believe in, in various respects, capitalism's institutions. They're going to believe in the capitalism's rhetoric about equality and liberty, and aren't those wonderful things? And isn't private property and competition delightful? And yes, maybe there are some difficult issues, and in in a, in a nice way, we're working with the unions to develop various reforms as we go along 
here? And doesn't democracy right, give people warm, fuzzy feelings? And isn't religion necessary for the moral fabric of society and to give people right hope and so forth? All of those things are things that capitalism conditions young people to believe right from day one through a thousand different cultural institutions. So what we then need, if we're going to develop the revolutionary cadre or that small number of individuals who are going to be able to bring about the revolution is we're going to need to get to young people before they have been conditioned by the capitalists and the capitalists' manifold powerful institutions at their disposal. So the Marxists recognize we need to get people early on to create this cadre of revolutionaries to get them when they are youths, to get them early on. So now maybe people can understand the value of the Marxist idea of this 1619 critical race theory issue of getting into elementary schools to be able to train people early on, to mold them, in the words of the professor, to be revolutionaries, to understand this is an evil country, that our institutions are racist and need to be changed, and how do you change them? You become a revolutionary, a Marxist. That's what this is all about, always has been about, and that's why we're seeing some families who are aware of this Marxist process to reach our children early on and to pump them with Marxist ideas of the evils of capitalism and freedom and liberty that this professor so easily dismisses, that that's what this is all about. So, Professor Wrap this up, this segment, up a little bit with your reinforcement that what's needed is to reach people at a very young age. So tell us again how the Marxists will try to reach our vulnerable youth. There are then going to be a number of ways that the Marxists will argue that we have to do this, but certainly education is going to be a central one because obviously in education we get people when they're young, we get them before they are uh, formed very significantly, and we have access to them for a large number of hours every day, a large number of days every week, and a large number of weeks every year. So it's necessarily going to be through education. Right, that the cadre of revolutionaries right, inspired by Marxism as a philosophy are going to uh, uh, come into existence, and then by the time they are mature and in a position to take the reins of leadership, be the ones who bring about the revolution. Well, there you heard it, folks, directly from a Marxist professor's mouth, describing how religion is the opioid of the masses to keep them pacified that there's no real truth to any religious beliefs there's no truth to democracy it's just the way we were all trained so let's get to our children let's get them early on let's teach them how evil this country is let's find ways to divide people let's find ways to continue to pick at the old wounds many of which were healed and solved with our democratic process, changing our constitution, giving people rights and privileges that they may not have had at the beginning of our country, but that were, we changed, we solved all the problems. No system is perfect. Certainly democracy and the, the republic that was put together by our founding fathers had flaws, but we are not the only country in the world that had slavery, that had racism, but we've overcome it. 
but Marxists don't want to let anybody in this country believe that history of the United States. They want to believe that the racism is still prevalent throughout and that people are continued to be victims and there's no way they can get ahead except through a Marxist revolution. Let's take a quick break and we're going to come back and continue to expose this Marxist cancer that is among us. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. Hello, my name is Rick White, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, then the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised to right hand and joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmbhof.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the final segment of this week's Healthcare Insight. You're on America's Web Radio, and I'm Ron Bachman. And today, we're talking about Marxism, the cancer that is in us today in the United States. And we're listening to a professor, a Marxist professor, a professor, Stephen Hicks. And he is giving us the insight, the straight scoop, if you will, about Marxism and how Marxism is penetrating our educational system and the whole philosophy and idea of reaching our youth to train them to be revolutionaries. And so I want to talk and continue this talk about Marxism so our audience here can understand that free markets like healthcare reform and insurance reform are not even possible these days while this growth, this cancer of Marxism, socialism is among us. Our elected officials, our current Biden administration is promoting programs that they may not believe is Marxist, but it is exactly what the Marxists want. They are what Stalin used to call the useful idiots. They are promoting the ideas and the foundations and the cultural changes that would establish a Marxist socialist government within the United States and do away with the things in our institutions that have held us together. They have divided every little bit of us. We don't, we no longer believe in the flag represents freedom and the American way and opportunity and advancement based upon what you want to do, not what somebody else tells you to do. We no longer have faith and religion as a core principle of morality in this country. We've taken it away from schools. We've talked about separation of church and state. We no longer have people wanting to stand to say the Pledge of Allegiance. We have people saying that our institutions are racist, that even things like mathematics are racist, that two plus two equal four is a racist concept, that it doesn't take into account the alternative thinking that might occur. So we have this throughout. And so I want to go back to this Professor Hicks and have him talk about what the role is of teaching and being a professor in today's world to promote the idea of Marxism. 
because that's what's happening there, educating a new generation of people and inculcating in them Marxist ideas, revolutionary ideas. And so let's go back right now to Professor Hicks and have him talk about the role of the professor. The task of a professor, right, is to help the student focus on particular horrors of his or her times, so that is to say, to be critical of existing society. And the job of the professor is not so much to focus on issues of truth, but rather to exercise power in order to uh, bring about social change. Now, what are the horrors uh, of the current time, or from what perspective do we see the current society as being horrible? And if we're exercise- interested rather in exercising power rather than truth, we're setting aside truth issues, we're focusing merely on power. Uh, why are we setting aside power? How do we want to exercise power? And if we're talking Talking about social change, what kind of social change do we want to bring out? What we have then is the professor as a kind of political activist uh, in the classroom, and that's going to transform the nature of education, obviously. Well, Professor, you're giving us such a great insight as to how you would educate somebody to become a Marxist, the types of subjects and activities they would be involved in as a young person to be a true Marxist. Can you give us a specific example of like the perfect Marxist education to create the perfect Marxist revolutionary? I have uh, one concrete real-life example to read about Marxist education in practice. This involves uh, the education of Kim Jong-il, the current uh, uh, communist leader in North Korea, Uh, North Korea, uh, uh, now one of the longest-lived Marxist-inspired states. And it speaks to his education. Uh, Quote, Kim Jong-il began studying at Kim Il-sung University in 1960, majoring in Marxist political economy. His minor subjects included philosophy and military science. While at university, he also took production training at Pyongyang Textile Machinery Factory, as a road-working apprentice, and as a worker building broadcasting equipment. Now, from a Marxist perspective, that's perfect, that's beautiful. We have Marxist philosophy, Marxist political economy, military science, actual working in factories, actually working building roads. All of the major buttons here are, uh, are being pressed. Well, that's just crazy, Professor. I mean, for people like myself listening to this, that you would hold up North Korea as the perfect Marxist society led by the perfectly educated leader, that's just nuts. But I want to continue with this discussion because it is so insightful as to the idiocy of Marxism. But there is a reality, I have to admit, that professors like yourself are indoctrinating, creating propaganda, brainwashing our youth. So from your perspective, from that Marxist perspective, what is the role of a teacher in the United States in trying to promote the idea of Marxism at some point in our future and expanding this Marxism cancer that is eating away at our body politic. What exactly our role is in bringing about or maintaining Marxism 
uh, is going to be different depending on the circumstances that we find ourselves in. So let's start with uh, the current system. Uh, from the Marxist perspective, the current capitalist system is an immoral system. It's an exploitative system. It's a system that alienates the workers from their products. It's one that allows the rich, uh, uh, those who own property, those who are uh, in a position to, uh, to glean profits from various enterprises, to live out off the backs of, uh, of the workers uh, and to unjustly allocate to themselves uh, um, uh, inappropriate amounts of, of money. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer and poorer. Now, in this situation then, as Marxist educators, we're not in a position to institutionalize socialism directly or in many cases given uh, who, who has hired us uh, to be uh, uh, institutionalizing ourselves, Marxist curricula and so forth. So what we then need to do is either be uh, subversive, uh, subversively critical and smuggle in a certain amount of uh, anti-capitalist instruction into our classrooms or to the extent that we do do have some leeway uh, as Marxist educators. Maybe we're professors with tenure or high school teachers with tenure. We can be more overt about this. But nonetheless, the point is that as Marxist educators, we believe that the current system is an evil immoral, exploitative system, and our primary job is to critique that citizen, that system rather. So our job is to be critical and to mount various critiques uh, to our students, to engage our students in the critical enterprise of uh, coming to understand the true nature of the system in which they, they live in. So what I'm hearing you say, Professor, is that the goal of the Marxists is to constantly criticize and point out every little flaw, every little problem, to sort of pick at that wound of capitalism and the free market and freedoms and liberties that we enjoy in the United States, that no matter what the positives might be, the role of the professor in encouraging market Marxism is to constantly look at the negative side and to create as much turmoil and distrust of the current system as possible. What then will be necessary is for us to criticize as much as possible all of the existing institutions of power of contemporary society, the current political system, the current economic system, that is to say, and from speaking from the American context, the politicians who are controlling the power in Washington, D.C. or in the various state capitals, uh, to show them as lining their own pockets or augmenting their own pow uh, power at the expense of other people or the fat cats on Wall Street or whoever happens to be the leading capitalists of the day to show them as rich individuals who have acquired their wealth at the expense of uh, the workers under them. Anything that we can use uh, institutionally uh, in terms of structural criti criticisms is, is perfectly legitimate. We also should uh, uh, use any personal scandals, if we can uh, have uh, examples of politicians acting badly or capitalists acting badly, that will help concretize in our students' minds the evils of the current system. Okay, I get it. Tear down everybody that you can with whatever means you can. And it's not really a Republican or Democrat in the traditional sense um, that you're targeting. It's targeting anybody who would otherwise support a capitalist free market system. So what about on the other side? You're going to tear down the people who are you, that you see as being the uh, leaders, the rulers, if you will, of capitalism. But how do you take your students now 
and give them a sympathy uh, to the underclass, as you would describe it. And then at the same time, we need to uh, play up the struggles and the difficulties and the problems experienced by the underclass in society, the struggles that the working class is having, individuals who are poor or who are otherwise economically marginalized by the system, uh, to develop our students' sympathy with and a sense of identification with for people in those particular classes. Okay, so let's tear down the people at the top any way possible, and let's uh, create a sympathy for people at the bottom. Now, what do you do about the whole system of capitalism and trying to tear it down more directly? And, of course, uh, when we're speaking about capitalism, insti- capitalism's institutions, such as private property, the profit motive, competition, and so forth, we need to characterize all of those systematically in negative terms as involving zero-sum benefits for some at the expense of others. So Marxist ideology does away with religion in every case that has happened in history. What is your role as a teacher to try to dismiss the idea of religion being the moral compass of capitalism? Uh, We as Marxist educators are going to believe, of course, that all religions are false. Their belief in spirits and ghosts and immortal souls and supernatural dimensions on metaphysical grounds, all of that is out. But more to the point, we're going to be uh, interested in criticizing the way in which religion can be used by the current powers that be to prop up their current system. So we show religion as uh, being a, a, you know, a set of beliefs that leads people not to place much, much stock in their lives in the here and now, as a system that tells them that their job is to be patient and forgiving and not to be interested in money uh, and to hope for a, a better life in the afterlife, all of that pie in the sky. Blessed are the meek. Your, your day will come uh, as long as you are a good boy or a good girl and do what your current masters tell you to do. All of that needs to be exploited. We need to, uh, if religion is the opiate of the masses, we need to get the masses off of drugs, get them angry, get them worked up about their actual material circumstances. Professor, I want to thank you wholeheartedly for coming on the program today. And anybody who wants to see the full presentation of your Marxist ideology and teachings can find you on YouTube. They can just probably Google the whole um, idea of Marxism and or search for you, uh, Stephen Hicks, uh, Ph.D. from Rockford University. You have given us an insight that probably nobody else could give us as to the destructive force that people like you are creating in this country. I want to continue this discussion with you in some future weeks because very few people would fully expose the strategies, the ideas, and the destructiveness of Marxism and professors like yourself. So to our audience, I hope you've learned a lot and that you will join us again next week as we talk about how this capitalist society, this land of freedom and opportunity, this shining light on the hill is being destroyed by the ideas and the insidious growth of Marxism throughout our country and in particular how it is affecting our young people in their education. See you next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.